I'm going to pray here. Let's uh, make our way back to our seats. Let's pray together, family. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Um, what a sweet time of worship it's already been. And, and Lord, uh, you've been speaking. You are speaking. And Lord, we trust that even the remaining amount of time we've got this morning together, you're going to continue to speak, Lord. God, meet us here in a, in a fresh and special way, Lord, as I open your word. God, we know it's your Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin when we put our faith in Jesus. It's your Holy Spirit who regenerates our souls. It's your Holy Spirit that helps us walk by faith. And it's your Holy Spirit that has written these scriptures. And so, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work among us here. God, give us ears to hear. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see. Be lifted high in our midst. Speak through me in power. And God, uh, may we all be encouraged and challenged, God, because of uh, the message this morning. So we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Family, it's good to be here with y'all, man. I'm encouraged, yeah. This past week, I had a moment. It was on uh, Thursday afternoon, and I just was, I was overwhelmed with joy on Thursday. And it bled into Friday, into Saturday to hear this moment. Um, on Wednesday night, a group of our uh, people from our real communities were at the Bell Park Advisory Council meeting, saturating that place with their presence, just being light in the community. Uh, super encouraged by that. On Thursday, a group of people went to Steinmetz High School, and we served lunch to 120 teachers and staff at Steinmetz. Man. And I'm, I'm going to do this. I know she wouldn't want me, but give it up to Athala, our sister over here. Man. She cooked for 120 people by herself. People were like, where did you guys cater from? I was like, you need to know about this here. So, man, we just praise God. We are, it was a report card pickup for the Steinmetz for all the high schoolers. And uh, it's a long day for teachers. So we cooked meals and delivered it to their classrooms. They texted uh, someone in our real community's uh, phone number saying, hey, I would like a cup of coffee, water, and a lunch delivered to room 324. My name is Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And we sent people up to deliver to their classrooms and for, for six hours, man. It was, it was encouraging. And then I was on Thursday morning, and on Thursday night, I knew there's an ESL class here with another group of people serving and teaching English as a second language. And then on Thursday night, while they were doing that, others were having baseball practice with their kids and their youth and serving their community. Friday night was taco night at the Brook for the Brook Youth. Some people were cooking tacos for the youth, making shirts, having a great time doing that. 
Saturday morning, another group of baseball practice. I'm out there with my team, and I see a guy from the brook spreading mulch around trees. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, serving the community. I was like, yo, that's dope. And he's like, hey, we called to someone else. I'm like, he's here too. Like, my heart's full, family. It's saturating this community. What God is doing is creating space. Now, that, that in itself is not enough. But he's creating space to tell people about Jesus. Man, I'm so encouraged by that. You know, when God creates space, we got to step into it. That's when things get a little scary. Stepping out in faith at different times can be really scary. Because sometimes you stepped out in faith, perhaps, in your life, and it's been met with some opposition, some challenge. That ever happened to you? This past week, I was, uh, my, Erica and I were speaking at a conference, and a guy that was speaking with us named Jeff was sharing this story, and I thought, thought man, i got to share this with you guys. He said he was downstairs in his home watching a football game, kind of coming in and out of sleep, as a lot of us do when watching football, especially if it's the Bears. Um, and suddenly, he heard a large thump on the floor from upstairs. He said he, it sounded like Santa Claus arrived, but it was not December is basically what he told us. So he went upstairs, and all of a sudden he hears this screaming sound in the bedroom where one of his, or his three boys were at. And he opens the door, and he sees his youngest son face down on the ground with a towel tied around him like a cape. And he's like, he picks his son up. He says he's got a bloody nose crying. And he's like, what happened? And he looks at the other two brothers, and they're kind of like this. And he says, they told me that if I prayed to Jesus, I could jump from the bunk bed and fly. He's like, I don't know whether to laugh or be angry at this. Poor kid's faith was met with some opposition, all right? You may feel like that's happened to you before. And like, got them all in, and you jump. And it's like, you smack, and you're like, what just happened to me? You know, that, that's what the faith journey is like sometimes. We're, we're confronted with opposition. We're confronted with pressure and tension. Some of you who are here today might be saying, you know, I'm just exploring this Christian faith thing, and what you just presented is not very appealing to me. Now, I'm going to say, bear with me, all right? If you are looking into this Christian faith, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus... I need you to know, family, don't we all agree that you are at the right address this morning, all right? Anyone else here at the right address today? Yeah, we're at the right address because here what we're going to do, we're going to see how God works in and through even those oppositions that we face because that's actually part of his story in our lives. When we put our faith in Jesus, which means we believe he died on the cross to pay for the punishment that you and I deserve, And when we live for him, he gives us the life that we were made for living. On Friday, I went back to Steinmetz, and they asked if I would help out with a class, eighth period, freshman group of students, and they were working on a writing project that was basically titled, I Want to Live. And their writing project was to explain why they wanted to live. And what we wanted to do, apparently, was was to help them understand their purpose in life. And I had a group of about 10 students with me. And, of course, you know, they're playing it cool, you know, not trying to talk to me. And I'm like, all right, what, what, do you guys, what did you guys write? And it's all crickets. So I just one by one asking, what, did you, what, did you, what are you writing about? What, why do you want to live? 
And only a couple of them really spoke up. But each of them said something like, I don't know my life's purpose, but I know I want to find it out. Other kids didn't want to say much at all until I sat down with them each at a different time and asked them pressing questions. Why do you want to live? Why, why, why if someone comes to you at the bus stop and says, what's this all about? What do you tell them? And a lot of them were just fumbling. And I, it was encouraging because I said, you know what? This is the purpose in life. This is what you've got to figure out. And one of the girls straight up asked me, what's your purpose? I was like, it's like a lob right there, you know? I said, my purpose is to point people to Jesus. And other kids said, wait, what'd you say? I was like, well, since you asked, I'm not going to get in trouble now because you asked me. My purpose is to point people to Jesus. You know, ultimately, family, that, that's what it comes to. That, that's what it's about if you know Jesus today. And if you don't know Jesus, that's what he wants to infuse within you, his purpose. Because when you do that, that's where the greatest satisfaction was. And that's what I told these girls. I said, that to me is my greatest joy and satisfaction in life. That's why God put me here. And family, we need to understand that we've got a purpose. But sometimes it means jumping off a bunk bed and laying on the ground and saying, God, this is not what I expected. And God's like, see me through this. I got you. I got you. When trials get you down, family, let the gospel get you up. All right? When trials got you face down, say, God, I need you to get me up because I'm here for a reason. You guys want to know that? You guys want to see that reason? Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're not going to let anything get in the way of our joy in Jesus Hardship may break down your body, family. Some of you are saying, that's where I'm at. Things might chain up your ankles, weaken your strength, maybe even slow down your pace. But you must know when you hit the wall, it can't steal your joy. And we're going to see a man today who stepped out in faith, seemingly hit a wall, but says, God, you're still working. I won't let this steal my joy. We're in a series called Unshackled Joy. It's from the book of Philippians, and it's a book that was written by a man by the name of Paul. Paul was a Christian missionary. Of course, not always. In fact, there was a time where he hated Jesus, but God grabbed him, and he turned his life over and said, Jesus, have your way with me. I'm putting on my cape. I'm going to follow you forward. But what it did for Paul was landed him in prison, and that's where he writes this letter called the book of, or the letter to the Philippians. That's in the New Testament of your Bible, and as we say every week, there is a Bible in a chair in front of you. If you don't own one, and I really mean this, if you go home and there's not a Bible in your possession, I'm not talking a digital app, I'm talking a Bible in your hands. If you don't own one, please take the one that's in the seat in front of you. Please do. We want you to have God's Word, and we'd love for you to pick up right where I'm reading today in the book of Philippians. I'm going to ask if you're able to, would you mind standing with me? I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18. And this is what Paul, from prison, likely in the city of Rome, to people in a city called Philippi, this is what he tells them. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Can you say advance the gospel? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and say those last words with me, and in that I rejoice. You may be seated, family. Wow. Paul, sitting in a jail cell, likely in the city of Rome, tells them these words in verse 12. He says, I need you to know this truth, that what has happened to me, namely, I'm locked up in a prison, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul is here almost smiling while sitting in prison. What is going on? And what he's about to tell them is what he wants and God wants you to know is that your trials in life will create gospel opportunities. Yes, we made that word up. It is an opportunity to share the gospel. And what is the gospel? But it's nothing else other than this, that Jesus Christ, who is God, came to this earth to live a perfect life that you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserved, in order that when you put your faith in him and turn from your sin, you can be forgiven, and that he rose from the dead so that you too can be raised to a new life. That's where your purpose in life comes. And Paul says, you know, if you put your faith in Jesus and you go through trials, God will create opportunities for you to make that truth known to others. He says, that's what happened to me. And he basically is saying, I want you to know this. If you don't find this out, Paul's like, I will be disappointed if you don't find out the fact that me being here in prison has actually been a good thing. This is a guy who thinks differently than most of us think. Well, the reason is this. He says that the gospel is being advanced. People are finding out about Jesus in my jail cell. And he's saying, that's reason to rejoice. I love it. Paul is the guy who bleeds the gospel. He, he is a gospel man. He's the kind of person that says, as long as the name of Jesus is advancing forward, whatever the circumstances are that make that happen, I can be joyful about that. that. That's significant, family. And he says, this gospel is so important to me. And for him, he says, like what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, if I hold it in, it's like a fire shut up in my bones, and I get weary unless I talk about it. Paul goes on to say, he says, like when I look in the mirror, he tells him in 1 Corinthians he tells them, woe is me if I don't preach this good news. He says in Romans 1.16, why? Because this news is the power of God to change people's lives. There's a reason why he's filled with fire in his chest because of what's happening to him. We might think, though, that he would be profoundly disappointed, right? Here's a guy who goes out in the neighborhood telling people about Jesus. Now he's stuck and confined in a Roman prison. 
And you think that would be frustrating. But, but what Paul says, my shackled feet can't shackle my faith. All right, so he gets out there, and even in this jail cell, he's making Jesus known. I, I believe the reason why Paul gets so excited then is because he understands not just what gospel, the gospel can do to change someone's life, but, but get this here, family. He understands what God has done to change his own life. I think sometimes, as one of our friends, Colin Smith, a pastor out in the orchard, says, he says, sometimes we can become strangers to our own souls, and we forget what God has done for us. We, we can't forget this, because when we forget how much God has done for us who put our faith in Jesus, then we no longer are excited when the good news is being advanced. If we forget what God has done for us, we're just frustrated in trials. We're not looking to see what God is doing in them. We're just mad. And Paul's like, no, that's not where I'm at. He says, I'm a man that he calls himself the chief of sinners. Now get this, before he became a Christian, he was, he was what was called a Pharisee. And they were the religious leaders of his day, which means that he was a highly moral man. How can this guy who's a moral man consider himself to be the chief of sinners? Well, he's a man then who's not a stranger to his soul. He says, while externally I had it all together, I knew internally I was a hot mess. He says, while other people put me on a pedestal as a moral example, I knew I was far from God. And when Jesus grabbed his life, he realized how badly he needed him. And until you and I come to grips with the depth of our rebellion and how it separated us from God, we will never treasure what God did to bridge that gap. And what he did was save us through Jesus. And Paul is here thrilled that even though he's in prison, the good news is going forward. He said it has served to advance the gospel. I mentioned how exciting it is that we're up in this community as a church family. And what, what excites me is God has created space. But being in the space in itself is not enough for people to hear about Jesus. We've got to not just see the opportunity, but seize the opportunity. Paul could have been in prison and just kind of kept to himself. Just like you and I can go to work and keep to ourselves. Or go to school and keep to ourselves. Or live on our block and keep to ourselves. But being present creates an opportunity, but that opportunity is not capitalized until we seize it. And Paul there in prison didn't want to let the opportunity pass him by. He says, so that it has become known, verse 13, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. The imperial guard is a word that's used for, the, for Roman soldiers, usually a cohort of about nine people. Get this, they, they had about a four-hour shift, typically. And I don't know exactly if they had multiple shifts per day, but Paul saw at least 18 of the elite Roman soldiers every day while he was in prison there in Rome. And he says, by me being here, those people are hearing about Jesus. I think this is pretty fascinating because he's writing this to Philippians. And we saw a couple weeks ago in the book of Acts that one of the first people to come to know Jesus in this city called Philippi was a soldier in a jail cell with Paul. 
And I'm thinking as Paul's writing these words and this soldier's reading it, he's probably got a little smirk on his face. See, I've been there, done that. I've been, I've been next to that guy while he was locked up. But this is what God does. This is a, a twist and shout moment here. I'm not a Beatle fan, but, but we're about to twist and shout here, okay? All right? So don't let, me, don't let me be here by myself. Notice this. Paul is there in prison with a soldier. The soldiers are the ones that are supposed to administer Paul's bondage. But his chains actually were not physical. I mean, they're only physical. They were there to administer bondage to a slave man when the slave man was actually there to help them be free. You see that? The one who was locked up in chains was actually the one who was free, and those who were administering the bondage were actually the ones in chains. This is how God works. God says, you want to come to me, you got to die so you live. you got to lose your life to gain it. And though you think you're free, you're actually a slave, and the guy that's a slave is actually free. And here Paul is in prison, and he's like, these guys think that they're here to overlook me, a bound man, but me, the bound man, is here to make these guys free. This is what God is doing. You guys ready to twist and shout there? I mean... You know, this is what God is doing. Paul was a prisoner physically, but was a free man spiritually. These men were free men physically, but bound men spiritually. And Paul's here saying, hey, you need to know this. I was put here to tell these guys about Jesus. Paul's like, when trials get you down, let the gospel get you back up. Look at there in verse 16. Paul says here, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. You see that that phrase in verse 16? I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul has an understanding that you and I must grasp. Who put Paul there? He says, I am put here. Did the soldiers put him there for the defense of the gospel? Paul's got an understanding here that you and I need to grab. He says, I'm in jail today because God put me in jail today so that I can reach prisoners and soldiers in this prison. Father, I got a purpose here. There is a sovereign hand in my suffering. There is a divine intention in this apparent opposition. You and I need to understand this because this, this, this is where the rubber meets the road in our lives. Because all of a sudden, your workplace is a place that you were put, not a place that you work at. Happened to come about. If you're a Christian today, God put you there. God put you in that classroom, high schoolers, at third period. God put you in the doctor's office with questions swirling so that his name could be glorified in your suffering. God can redeem the hurts of your past. And he can use those with a divine intention. 
You see, what Paul is teaching us here is that there are no accidents in the divine economy. And even as this man's here locked up in chains, he says, I'm not going to get down. Some years ago, I visited an elderly man in the hospital. He was well into his 90s. And this is the kind of guy that you just couldn't shut up when it came to Jesus. I mean, there's nothing you could do. The guy would talk your ear off because of his love for the Lord. And I remember when I came to visit him, his doctor says, you know what, I need to visit your church because people from the church keep coming to visit this guy and this guy keeps telling me about Jesus. And here he is knowing that he's got far more in the rearview mirror than he's got out the windshield. But he's like, as long as there's breath in my lungs, and even though I'm in the hospital, I'm going to seize this opportunity. We don't know where God has us, or why God has us where he has us, but we know it's there for a purpose. Paul understood that the gospel was offensive, but he still was on the gospel offensive, if you know what I mean. Advancing it forward, knowing that it's going to be met with resistance. But Paul's here in prison, thankful for Jesus, even though he's locked up in chains. He's thankful, first of all, because even the guards and the people around are hearing about Jesus. But he's got a second reason he's thankful for. Look at verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, I'm thrilled that I'm in chains because people who work this prison cell, these barracks, are hearing about Jesus. But secondly, I'm thrilled to be here is that my presence in prison is actually emboldening the brothers and sisters, the Christians in the community. You and I know what that's like. There's been times you're hearing of people's courageous faith, and it is a contagious faith, isn't it? You hear stories about how they're bold in their workplace. You're thinking, Lord, I want to be like that. You hear stories of how God's using them in their schools or on their block or baseball team. And you're like, God, God, I want that. Courageous evangelism is contagious evangelism. And here Paul is in prison, and the people are looking at him saying, man, God, you're using this brother. And I'm, I'm emboldened by it. He says to become more confident, more bold, and speak without fear. Which is to say that before his imprisonment, they spoke with fear. Then we know what that's like, don't we? To speak with fear. To, 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 to realize that when we're trying to live out this faith, that there is opposition that's going to confront us. Fear of not knowing what to say sometimes. Fear of saying the wrong things. Fear of looking dumb. Or fear of being held accountable now because now people know what you believe. There is fear, and Paul is saying, my imprisonment is emboldening, emboldening them. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, you know, there's a group of people who usually are not very fearful about their faith, and those are those people who first come to this faith. Maybe you are young in your Christian faith today, and you're on fire. You're, you're just like, I, I just got to tell more and more people about Jesus. And then you look at others who maybe are more seasoned in their faith, and you're like, why are you so boring about your faith? You know, it happens. And a lot of times we get boring with our faith because we forget what we've been saved from, and then secondly, we've let the fears 
swallow our lives up and we're just more comfortable not saying a thing. People who are new in their faith are bold because they know Jesus has changed them. How do they know that? What just happened? I was a hot mess a week ago and today I'm saved by grace. This, this is where they're at. They just experienced the power of God. God had just wrecked them. And they're like, I got to tell people. For them, it's not merely intellectual, as often happens to us who are more seasoned in our faith. They're like, There's, yeah, I'm, I'm understanding it, but I see what God has done. They're not intimidated by their ignorance. Because they're like, I don't know the answers, but what I do know is that I was once blind and now I see. I was once lost and now I'm found. I don't got all the answers, but I do know that. I know Jesus died for me. I know he rose for me. I know he took my place, and that's all I got to say. A lot of times when we get older, we complicate it. We're like, I need all the theological answers. I need to explain the problem of evil. And until I get the answer to that, I won't tell people about Jesus. And that's not the way it works. Paul was in prison, not for his theological fortitude, although he had it. Paul was in prison, not because of intellectual answers. He was in prison because he told people that Jesus is God who came in human flesh, that lived a perfect life, died on the cross for their place, and rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens. The gospel. If you are a seasoned believer, let this example cause your faith to be emboldened once again. As John wrote the words of Jesus in Revelation 2, perhaps you have abandoned the love that you had at first. And what Jesus say, come back. Turn your eyes back to him. Or as the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, it's the things of this world that often cause us to lose focus. And what the hymn is saying, what Paul has modeled, when you set your eyes on Jesus, let him be the one to embolden your faith as you follow his example and the example of those who walk with Jesus. He says they are more confident in the Lord and more bold to speak the word without fear. And the word is nothing else but the good news of Jesus. Paul tells us that your trials create gospel opportunities. And he also tells us that when you seize those opportunities, your courage is contagious. But then he throws another curveball here in the following verse. Because he tells us, though, that people have different motives when they tell people about Jesus. He says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He says something here that I had a hard time wrestling with this week. I was thinking, why would anybody see Paul in prison and see that as an opportunity to kick him when he's down? That's what he's saying happened here. Some people, he says, were emboldened, and they want to go make Jesus known. They're excited. They love Paul. They, they want to do this out of goodwill, saying, hey, we're going to stand in the gap while you've been removed from the, the, from the preaching. And they're, they're all for this, this message and this motive of making Jesus' name lifted high. 
But then he says there's another group of people who don't share that concern. They find delight in kicking him when he's down. He says they preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. I'd had a hard time understanding this. Why, Why would people do that? But then the more I thought about it, I realized, man, that that actually happens quite a bit. One person wrote that these people were not false teachers. He just called them in verse 14, brothers. These weren't people who preached a different message. These are people who love Jesus. But the writer goes on saying they were self-seeking opportunists, promoting themselves at Paul's expense. Perhaps they had enjoyed some prominence in the church before he arrived, but had been eclipsed since he came to the city. And by taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment, they may have hoped to recover their former popularity. This is a hard one for me to swallow. They had the right message, the gospel, the right method, preaching, but the wrong motive for themselves. See, Seeing people bold for their faith will inspire other Christians. But as you feel motivated in your faith, make sure your motive for preaching Jesus is pure. That's hard to judge motive. But God knows your heart and knows mine. And I know the tensions and the pull for prominence or having a platform or being known or having a reputation. But let God say, hey, Let your motive be one, to lift high the name of Jesus. And this is what what just blows me away. Look at verse 18. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's like, I'm not sweating it. I'm not worried that these people are are trying to rival me. Paul's like, it's not about me. So if they're going to be motivated by some wrong ambition, but the message is true, he says, let Jesus be known. That, that, that takes some maturity, doesn't it? Why does Paul come to that? Well, as we talked about earlier, he says, you can shackle my feet, but you can't shackle my faith. You can shackle my joints, but you can't shackle my joy. And Paul's like, as long as Jesus is lifted high, I'm good. We got some important things to see here, family. Your trials create opportunities. And God provides twist and shout kind of moments where you're saying, God, you're just throwing me a lob here. Someone's asking you, what's your purpose? Someone's telling you, what are you doing on Sunday morning? Someone's saying, what do you do with your free time? Someone's asking you, you're a person of prayer? Someone's saying, is this Jesus real? And twist and shout over that and say, God, I'm going to make it known. And then boldly tell people what God has done for you. And then watch how your courage will become contagious. And as you do so, make sure your, your motives are pure and your eyes are set on Jesus. Family, we said that when your trials get you down, let the gospel get you up. God has put you in a place in a a sphere of influence that's unique to you. And you might say, I don't want this sphere, God. 
because the sphere I'm in is hard. I, I don't want my sphere to be doctors and nurses and me be sitting on a, on a table there. God, I, I don't want my sphere to be a workplace where my boss demeans me. God, I don't want my sphere to be the classroom where Christianity is mocked. This is real for us. But do know that you were put there. You've got a purpose there. I want you to search your soul here, even in your seats. Say, God, what's my sphere today? What, what am I walking into Monday morning? What, what, what waits for me this week? And then asking this, God, who's there? I want you to put that person's face on your mind's eye right now. That person who's far from Jesus. And just perhaps, God put you there for them. Maybe it's a conversation with a family member, a sibling, a neighbor across the street. And what you, I want you to do is look and see God create gospel tunities. But remember, those aren't enough. Being in prison for Paul wasn't enough. You and I need to seize those opportunities as well. We've got an opportunity to make Jesus known. And you might step out of faith this week and feel like you hit your face on the ground. You might be going to work tomorrow with a cape around you and you're feeling just like, I'm going in. And be ready. But also know in the opposition, God is working out his purposes. Family, life is short. Heaven is glorious and hell is real. And you and I have got a message. We've got a method, by God's grace, a pure motive to make Jesus known. He's worth it. He's worth it, family. When the worship team comes up here now, and then it's going to be followed by a prayer team. I want you, with that person that you put in your mind's eye, I want you to pray for that person as we, as we pause here. And I want you to even step forward and ask one of the prayer team members to pray for that person by name. Tell them, my coworker Brian, my, my cousin, Joshua, my neighbor, Steve, my aunt, Juanita, you give them a name and you have them pray for that person and let them pray that God would create an opportunity for you to tell them about Jesus. And then for others of you who are at a place where you're saying, I myself don't know this Jesus, please know that he can break the chains of sin and discouragement and separation from God and give you a relationship with him. Our prayer team is also here to help walk you through that and how you can be a child of God. So let's rise to our feet, and let's bow our heads for a moment. Put that person's face on your mind. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, for that person, those people that are in our hearts and minds that you've put in our sphere, Lord. God, I pray that you would grant my brothers and sisters courage, Lord, like Paul had. 
looking around the prison cell, saying, I've got one life to live. And Lord, I pray that each brother and sister here today would say, no matter what, above all, I pray that Christ would be exalted, and in that I will rejoice. So Lord, open these doors, I pray, and grant us the grace and courage to step through them, no matter what the cost. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.